Welcome to The Advance, a podcast on moving towards Christ-like maturity. This podcast takes time to look at how we can posture ourselves to grow in our walk with Christ. It would really help me out if you could share it with your friends and take some time to review it on whatever platform you are either viewing it or hearing it on. Thank you so much and be blessed today. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Advanced Podcast. My name is Donovan. I'm a pastor in Edmonton, Alberta, and it is such an honor to be able to speak into your life and speak into uh, the way that you choose to walk with Jesus. I'm really looking forward to today's interview. I'm interviewing my friend Hogan, who is a uh, he works with an organization called InterVarsity. They work primarily with university students on college campuses to help disciple them and grow them as leaders and to help give them a passion for an understanding of God's Word. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about God's Word today. Scripture, worship, prayer are the three spiritual disciplines that these podcasts are going to be focusing on during the COVID-19 crisis. After that, we're going to get into all sorts of other spiritual practices like hospitality, interruptibility, Sabbath, all these different biblical and I think really powerful ways of relating to God. But again, while we're in isolation, I think it's really important to focus on scripture, prayer, and worship. Kind of get to the basics, get to the most uh, essential of uh, what it means to follow Christ. And and as we do that, it's going to impact not only how we love God, but how we love others. So I want to encourage you uh, today to to really be um, asking God to to just be speaking to your heart in a new way. Um, today's podcast is super practical. Uh, the conversation that we had has a lot of really practical tips, really practical ideas, but also has presents some um, some stuff that hopefully will spark some thinking for some of you. Um, one of the things we talk a lot about is interpretation of the Bible, and it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to get over the uh, the fact that only people with a theological degree can interpret and understand the scriptures. Um, one of the reasons I started this podcast, again, is to combat some of the consumeristic mentalities that can be present in a season like this, where uh, we, we go to our church every week and we hear our pastor preach, and that's kind of how we interact with God's Word. No, God's Word is something that we all have access to, something that we all can learn from, something that we all can allow to speak into our lives. And I'm going to say something kind of controversial in this podcast, it's that I don't think there's one right way of understanding the Bible. I think there's obviously truth that brings it all together. There's obviously things that, that we believe are non-essential and are completely essential in what it means to follow Christ. Um, as a church, we affirm the Apostles' Creed. We affirm uh, Jesus' coming and we affirm Jesus' saving us from sin to restore us to relationship with God. And there's all sorts of little nuances and little intricacies. But as soon as we start to think that my way of understanding Scripture is the only right way, uh, we lose the humility that comes and we lose the fact that God's word is alive and active, that God's word is, um, we don't only read God's word, but God's word reads us. That as we read God's word, we can find new meaning, we can find new depth, we can find new life in, in something. What I love so much about the Bible is that I've read books like Colossians hundreds of times and um, each time I read it, I'm, I'm able to find something new. I'm able to experience something new because my posture is to connect with Jesus as I read his word. And so, um, again, I just want us to get over the fact, or, or any of us that may believe that we need a pastor to tell us what something means. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't seek out wisdom. It doesn't mean that we don't ask when we have questions. But it means that we, we realize that any of us, wherever we're at, can read God's word and allow it to speak to us allow it to shape us. Yeah, when we start to talk about things like, well, 
what if this verse contradicts this verse? Or what if, um, what if Jesus says something really intense and really extreme? Um, or, or what about all of the different um, Old Testament stories of violence? All of these things, uh, yeah, we should be having lots of conversations and lots of questions about these things. And we should be asking our pastors, asking people that have been to Bible school or may have thought a lot more about these things. We should be talking about these things with them. But don't let that keep you from thinking that you can't sit down and read the Gospel of John and allow it to just transform you, allow it to speak to you, allow the words of Jesus to, to just shape who you are. Uh, two books that I found really helpful in understanding the Word of God this way. Um, again, they're a little more challenging of reads, but they're really, I think they're amazing books. The first is Scripture and the Authority of God by N.T. Wright. Pretty much everything N.T. Wright writes is incredible. Uh, some of his stuff is very hard to read, I'll be honest. It's more for scholars and people that want to think that way. Um, but Scripture, The Authority of God is a much more, um, a much more approachable book. And uh, I highly recommend it for people that want to explore how God's Word speaks to us, uh, how to understand God's Word, how God's Word made sense as it was written to the original hearers. Another book that was really helpful for me is Captive to the Word of God by Miroslav Volf. Uh, this book, again, is a little bit more scholarly to read, but it was very helpful um, in understanding the scriptures as alive and the scriptures speaking to us um, in a way that is meaningful and in a way that anyone can access. Um, both very good resources that uh, you, there's a link to in the podcast links. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this interview that I've had with Hogan. I hope that it's a blessing to you as it was to me. My hope with all of these things is that we put them into practice, that we don't just um, hear it and do nothing. And we're gonna talk a lot about application today. So hopefully we are applying God's word, we're applying what we're hearing, we're applying what we're learning. Again, not to feel overwhelmed and burdened, but so that we can connect with Jesus in a deep and meaningful way. Here's my interview with Hogan. Hey Hogan, how's it going? I'm doing very well today, thank you Donovan. That's awesome. So um, I'm just curious before we get into our conversation is is how you look right now, what every man has to look forward to at the end of quarantine. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I hope so. Yeah. I feel like it's very low maintenance in general. It's true. Yeah, I, I, uh, I really, I, I know before COVID, you were clean shaven, your head, you had like a nice close trim. <laughs> just amazing how quickly things happen. <laughs> yeah, only one month in. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to chat with us a bit today. Um, before we get into any conversation about um, our, about the scriptures, uh, I'd love to just get to know you. Um, who are you? Uh, a bit about your family, what you do for work, and maybe something you're passionate about. Excellent. Yeah. So my name is Hogan Brimacombe. I work with University Christian Fellowship at the University of Alberta and now at McEwen, very excitedly. I work mostly with undergraduate students. And I'm the proud dad to four sons, uh, all under the age of six. So that makes this whole home conferencing thing pretty interesting sometimes. Yeah. Um, my wife, Priscilla, is a nurse also at the U of A hospital. So we're really blessed to kind of be members of that community in a couple of different ways. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is, in general, seeing university students figure out what God is asking of them and what God is inviting them into in particular seasons of their lives. So sometimes that's first year, sometimes that's a few years after they graduate, maybe the job isn't what they thought it was. But yeah, I'm really passionate about helping people figure out what transition looks like. Mm -hmm. University is kind of always about transition. Totally. How long have you been with university now? This is right at the end of year eight now. Uh, 
That's yeah, cool. I graduated from the U of A with a degree in immunology in 2009. So people have been asking me a lot of questions lately. I felt very popular. Haven't had an opportunity to dust that off in a few years, but yeah, in the midst of a pandemic, it's looking pretty good. <laughs> oh, that's really awesome. Cool. No, it's great to, uh, to hear a little bit about you. And I know um, for those listening and watching, Hogan and I both work with university students primarily. So we've connected in a lot of ways just um, to, yeah, really seek to help one another and, and grow um, what God's doing on the University of Alberta campus. Um, but one of the things that, um, that yeah, Hogan and uh, InterVarsity in general is really passionate about and good at is giving people the tools to engage with the scriptures in a meaningful way. And, um, and that's why I've chosen to, to get Hogan on pretty early on in this podcast, because I think if we put into practice some of the stuff we'll be talking about today, uh, there could be some pretty significant impact in how we read the Bible, how we understand the Bible, and even how we talk about the Bible with others. Um, but again, before we get to that, I would love to hear a bit of your thoughts, Hogan, on the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, I don't know if we need the immunologist's perspective, but I guess now we could get this is the... You know, <laughs> Don't, uh, you know, don't cite Hogan today if you're like posting to Facebook. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you feel like uh, in the midst of this pandemic, Hogan, God is up to in the culture, in the world, maybe on the university campus or amongst university students and then in your own life? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think one thing for many people is that we've got a lot of time to think. So um, I've been really appreciating the ways that God has created space for people. So Oftentimes, this is a very hectic season for students and staff and pastors and lots of people are trying to finish things up really well. And not that that's not true in this season, but there's an added element of adaptability that we've had to throw in. And in all of that, I think there's a really big opportunity to just kind of start a million new things and, and hope that some of them work out. But I think that God is inviting us into a season of, of wisdom and seeking him and trying to see the things that are really of him in this time. Um, yeah, I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of students really pursuing their individual spiritual disciplines like they haven't before. So it's funny, you, you wouldn't necessarily think that this would be a time when people would take up fasting. Uh, but yeah, I've heard, I've heard lots of that. I've heard students trying different methods of prayer and maybe interceding more than they have in the past. And that's been really encouraging too. And then on the other side of the coin, there's some students that I have that are stuck in their homes and school used to be kind of a safe place for them. Mm -hmm. And, and that's been a real challenge. So to figure out what it means to be sent back to their homes, even if the home situation isn't great, mm -hmm. some of those challenges are really real too. And I, I think I have a new appreciation for the phone. Mm -hmm. um, overall, I, I kind of ignored the phone for my first like seven years. I basically never did any sort of discipleship or ministry over the phone, but man, the phone is a powerful tool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's been really encouraging. I also, I think in general, God might just be inviting us to consider the things that are really important. So maybe as the government makes a essential services list, maybe we can take that opportunity too. And that's something me and my wife have been talking about. Like, Oh, if society is going to strip down and decide what's essential, maybe, maybe we can too in this moment. So taking the opportunity to consider what really matters and what things we've kind of let creep in as distractions or things like that. Man, that's so good. It's, um, it's definitely like, I was talking about this with a person I interviewed a few days ago, the whole sense of um, just how we, there's, there was almost this move in the last few months. I don't know if you noticed this, like amongst 
the Christian in the Christian world about books or podcasts or things about slowing down, you know, like eliminate all the craziness from your life. Yeah. And it's like, well, here you go. You don't really have an option anymore. And so there's this, <laughs> there's this, um, yeah, this invitation I think we're given to, um, yeah, to really ask that question. What is, what is the most essential things in our life? And, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how the patterns that emerge in this season continue on. Right. Like, People may be trying, like we're talking about inductive Bible study today, like somebody might try it for the first time and maybe do a thorough reading of one of the Gospels or a thorough reading yeah. of, uh, of Ephesians or something like that. And then they might find so much life in it that they keep reading their Bible this way afterwards, right? Like, so, yeah, I feel like it's not only is what God is inviting us into now, but how do we how do we posture ourselves so that it can continue on after whenever we get back to whatever the new normal is going to be? If there is ever yeah. a new normal, who knows? <laughs> Yeah. Cool. So before we talk specifically about inductive Bible study, I just, I know you're someone who absolutely loves the Bible. And so I'd love to hear what, why are the scriptures so important um, to you? And then why, yeah. And then why do you feel like they're so important in general? Yeah. Um, I'll give a little bit of a, I'll give a little bit of a disclaimer. I, I don't know many verse quotes mm -hmm. and that's largely because of the way university does Bible study. So we usually don't print verse numbers on things. And so when I'm mentioning a, a Bible verse, I'll probably say something like near the end of Deuteronomy or something like that. And I, I hope you'll treat that as an opportunity to go look it up. You know, you can, the quote will be fairly accurate. You can Google it when you get home, but I, I'm not very good at the exact quotations. I'm, I'm much more like, this is where it is in general. And I think that probably comes from part of the reason why I think the scriptures are so important. So, um, a little bit about my background. I didn't have kind of any religious upbringing of any kind. My parents were of the opinion that you should let people make their own choices. And so I went to a Bible basketball camp from when I was eight till I was about 15. And that was kind of my only exposure to faith. And I decided to follow Jesus when I was, when I was 15. And they said their discipleship strategy was read your Bible and pray every day. Okay, I can do that. That's a very, that's a very doable workable thing. And so my experience of interacting with God, the vast majority of that was through scripture and prayer. Um, I didn't grow up in a church community. I, I still to this day don't know very many good Sunday school songs. I'm a little sad about that now that I have four kids. Um, but yeah, basically my entire initial experience of faith was through the scriptures. And so that's one of the reasons why they're so important to me is that I, I learned the voice of God through them and I learned the words of God as I was trying to figure out who he was as a person. I knew I really liked my counselors at basketball camp, but the scriptures really fleshed out the whole picture. Um, there's a quote at the end of Deuteronomy where Moses is laying out the law and he says, uh, at least in my version, he says, these are not idle words to you. These words are your very life. Mm. And I love that. I love that idea that these, these words that we're reading on the pages of scripture aren't just things that are idle. They're, as Second Timothy, somewhere near the end says, uh, they're capable of cutting through bone and marrow, mm. capable of cutting to the very heart of us and allowing us to see and understand everything that's kind of going on in the world and inside of ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly beautiful. It's very interesting to me how, how grounding scripture can be for people uh and particularly for myself i find in general 
my personality lends me to start a million projects and finish very few. And uh, scripture speaks pretty negatively of that in general. And I, I often think to myself, uh, man, what would I be? What would I be without this kind of immersion in scripture as a child? I don't know. I think I'd be a greasy used car salesman, you know, like a guy that sells bad cars to old all that kind of thing like ugh, that's not what i want to be so i think the scriptures provide provide the pathway to not yeah to to discover the thing that god really really loves in us and i part of my experience in the scriptures growing up that was really interesting to me so uh i just decided i was going to read the bible 20 minutes a night every night from when i decided to follow jesus uh onwards kind of thing and so what that meant was uh, I'm a pretty gifted reader. And what that meant was by the time I went to college, kind of late 17, late, late in my being the age of 17, I had read the scriptures cover to cover four times. Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting because I went into this Bible fellowship with InterVarsity and there was many things that I didn't know. I, I pronounced Esau Eseu because I, I had never heard anyone say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Right? I, there's so many things in the, in the Bible that I'd never heard anyone say out loud. I had just read for myself or uh, people would have questions about um, things like what is, what is the action of God in the old Testament? What is his character? And I was like, Oh, we should talk about second Chronicles 30. And nobody knew what I was talking about. I was like, Oh really? This is God. I, I assumed this was like a key text of young adult faith when we were asking this question and nobody knew what I was talking about. And I was like, guys, Second Chronicles 30, that's when Hezekiah reinstitutes the Passover. And then it's a total mess and everything is wrong and everything is messed up. And, okay. <laughs> and then Hezekiah prays, Lord, does this Passover count in your eyes? Is basically what he says. And the line reads, and the Lord heard his prayer and healed the people. I'm mm. Like, that's the mercy. That's all, that's all the good Jesus stuff that we love so much that we see in the New Testament. Is The story is right there. And they all just kind of looked at me like, huh, interesting. <laughs> Okay, we've approached this from a very different perspective. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. I I look forward to my kids growing up in the church. I'm not taking anything away from growing up in the church and having that solid background, but I I know that my personal discipleship was almost entirely just the word and and prayer. Wow. And it framed me in a different way for what my adult life would look like in scripture for sure. So before you go into to more of the, again, general why the scripture is so important, what do you, was IBCF your first Christian group that you were a part of? Like, did you have a youth group or were they the first ones that you kind of jumped <laughs> with? That's a good question. Uh, so <laughs> one of the things about having your discipleship come entirely out of reading scripture yeah. is that you don't necessarily understand the importance of community. Mm. And so um, one of one of the things I look back on with a little bit of regret is, yeah, basically my first year of college was my first Christian community. I spent a little bit of time with uh, a group in high school. Yeah. Uh, who I would later find out was affiliated with InterVarsity. I didn't know that at the time, but yeah, they, there was a little bit of like a lunch group in high school kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I, I never attended my church youth group. I was busy with basketball and things like that and didn't really see the point. So yeah, huh. university, university was pretty much my first experience. That's cool. Do you mind just before, again, before we keep going, what, what is InterVarsity for those that don't know and what, like, um, what would you say is kind of the key, like for a student who joins InterVarsity their first year, what is your hope when they graduate? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. I, uh, 
InterVarsity exists on campuses all across Canada. We're part of an umbrella organization that exists all over the world, but we're a ministry that exists alongside the church. Our primary purpose is to raise up leaders mm. for the church, uh, the big C church, uh, whatever that might look like. Some of our leaders go on to work in various social relief places. Others of our leaders go on to seminary and become more involved in the local church, that kind of a thing. But our main goal is to is to raise up leaders for the church. And we believe that a big part of raising up leaders is being bold in your faith and seeing people come to faith. Totally. And a big part of that motivation comes out of scriptures for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on most campuses, you'll find a staff worker or maybe a few, depending on how large the campus is in Canada. And you'll find a collective of students that are diligently pursuing scripture and diligently pursuing their friends out of what scripture tells them. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's such a cool fellowship. I love what you guys are doing. Um, but yeah, so with that, let's get back to the scriptures. Why? So you, you've kind of spoken to why they're so important to you. Why do you feel like they're, they're important for all of us? Yeah, that is a great question. I think one of the real beautiful things of scripture is just how practical it is. Mm. Um, it's difficult. You know, it's maybe kind of difficult to make that argument when you're reading about David returning twice as many foreskins as he was asked for or something like that. But they're just, they're just incredibly practical. You know, the, the zeal of some of the warriors in the Old Testament or the zeal of that compared to the prophets of the Old Testament, man, what can we learn from that? The, uh, the way that the Spirit moved so powerfully in the early church and so... It seemed like so effortlessly also, mm-hmm. you know, I, we read about the foundation of buildings being shaken, prison doors being opened, that kind of thing. I think anytime we open scripture, scripture gets invited into our hearts and allows our hearts to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so important mm-hmm. for people in general. Um, I do think there's a place for, you know, a book by Francis Chan or something like that to help us interpret the scripture well, but yeah, I think that the way that we interpret scripture should always come first from our looking at scripture and our engaging directly with the word of God mm. in whatever way we have that. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so often it's so, it seems so distant or maybe hard to read sometimes for maybe we're in ministry and the miracles seem so far away, or maybe we're in a, in a time of despair and, God seems so far away. There's always an answer. There's always an answer in scripture of hope and goodness and joy being brought out of the pages. Hmm. Totally. That's so good. That's so good. Um, yeah. So the, uh, I think we're going to get it. I have a few questions, but I'm sure, I'm sure they'll, they'll come up as we have this conversation. Great. Um, but um, just before we hop into our conversation about inductive study, the, uh, I want to give you guys a little bit of a background of, uh, for me personally, how my life was changed in, in approaching scriptures in a different way. So um, those of you who know me, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor now for eight years at, the, at this church. I went to Bible school. I had, um, you know, I've always wanted to be in ministry. And, and I also, like Hogan, I love God's word. I love spending time in his word. I've, and I tried all sorts of different methods of reading. I had done all sorts of of different ways of engaging from reading as much as I could in a day, taking in as much as I could to, you know, focusing on a couple verses a day. And, and I'll be honest with you, a couple of years ago, I was feeling a little stuck. Um, I was, I was finding, um, 
I was finding it difficult to spend a great deal of time in God's word. I would, I just needed to change. I'd, I'd found that my, um, my approach to the scriptures had, had almost become, um, robotic or just out of going through the motions. And so what, um, and, and this was around the same time that I'd met Hogan and, and met Hent and was starting to build close relationships with people who are part of InterVarsity. And they started talking about this thing called the inductive Bible study. And it can be done both in groups of people, but it can also be done in, uh, in your own personal reading. And, uh, and so what I did is I bought a pack of pens, uh, colored pens. I think I have a pack of like, and I think I've bought them three times since because they don't last very long when you do it this way. And I basically assigned, as I would read my Bible, I would underline, circle, or highlight every single line, every single word. And um, and I had a legend in the front of my Bible what each color pen meant. And uh, I, I can post a link to a picture of it if you want. And I'm sure Hogan has some online he could tell us about. Uh, different models but essentially i would um everything that was about god i would highlight in red if it was revelation of god everything that was like a command or something that i was called to do i would highlight in blue everything that was a promise i would highlight in a different shade of blue everything that was to do with the gospel or good news i would highlight in green and so and i actually started doing this for my entire bible <clears throat> and what i found is it helped me focus because I was, I was so distracted when I would read the Bible. I would have so many things going through my mind. But as soon as I started doing this, it helped me focus so well because I, I was constantly thinking about. And then the next level, the next readings, I would take a different color that I hadn't used yet. And I would connect things. So I would look for words that were repeated and connect them throughout the text. Or I would say, well, this word here comes up in this chapter here. So I would circle them and then draw a line connecting them and all sorts of things like that. And what I found is that this completely, it, um, it helped engage my mind in a different way. It helped me engage with the scriptures in a different way. It helped me notice things in a different way. And it really helped me, it kind of gave me something new to, to do. And, and I wanted to share that because there may be some of you that have been believers for a long time, and you may just need something new, a fresh way of engaging with God's word. I really encourage you to, to take this seriously and to, um, to look at how, highlighting and underlining might be uh might be something to to do if you want to go through that um but also i wanted to share with you just to say like it's um don't feel like shame if you're having trouble engaging with god's word like if you get bored if your mind wanders like don't feel shame about it um maybe just ask the holy spirit what are, what are you inviting me into then what what way of approaching god's word in this season um are you inviting me to and and for those of you that might have a more analytical mind or a more um more think more like on that level inductive study might be like the perfect way of engaging with god's word um so i've kind of given i might have uh, stolen a little bit of hogan's thunder but he'll i'm sure repeating is good in this case um but um i'm gonna just hand the ball over to you hogan um and i'd love to to just ask you first of all what so when when we say inductive bible study method i've kind of given more of the practicals but why don't you kind of take us back a few steps um what is it uh, let's start there. What is inductive Bible study? Yeah, thanks. Um, the inductive Bible study method, I think the best way to describe it is a way of reading into, or not reading into scripture, but trying to read what the scripture is trying to say to its original audience. Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes, sometimes there's a purpose for all kinds of different Bible study. So when I'm preparing a talk or a sermon or something like that, I'll often use a deductive method. So I'll think to myself, okay, what are some, what are some verses that talk about hope? 
or what are some areas that talk about love or things like that. And I'll stitch together from many different sections or I'll start with um, a passage that I know is great about love. For example, first Corinthians 13, you know, that's a, that's a well. And those are, those are deductive methods. We, we enter in with uh, kind of a general knowledge of what's going on and we work from that. The inductive method is about trying to, trying to as much as possible enter into the position of the first century hearers and readers and get out of that what was originally said. Mm-hmm. And so um, the method itself can feel somewhat mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of you are really going to love that. And others of you are going to be like, oh, no, you have imposed upon me a rule. And <laughs> I just want to say, uh, like Donovan talked about in his very first post on this series, um, the best way to understand rule is to understand it as a trellis. Trellises mm-hmm. help us. They give us a framework for the way that we can grow in God. And so... Yeah, this might sound very methodical to you, but it's a trellis. It's a trellis to help us grow. So the inductive Bible study method is best broke down into three steps. First, we make observations. Then we make interpretations. And then we apply what we're learning. All three of these steps are super important for various reasons. Observation is incredibly important because that's the step when we try and disassociate ourselves from all the sermons we've heard on this passage or all the commentaries and everything else we said and say, okay, what does the scripture in itself say? Um, that's one of the reasons why when I'm leading a Bible study or when I'm doing my personal Bible study, I almost never check um, the original language. I do it sometimes, but I rarely do it. One of the reasons is I never want someone to feel like they can't study scriptures unless they know Greek or Hebrew, because you can, you absolutely can. The second reason is when you're reading the six different ways that that word could be translated, that can be a really helpful later step. But initially you want to read the word as you have it in front of you in whatever translation you find to be the most trustworthy and helpful for you in general. So that, that first step of observation is really important. And basically that's when you're doing the things that Donovan talked about. So maybe you're reading a passage and you're coming up with a lot of questions. Questions are really good. Underline those, highlight them. When I'm doing that, I usually use my red pen. So Donovan asked me to provide a manuscript. We usually print them out because we usually do them in large group settings and we want to make sure everybody has the same version. So Donovan has the Stadler 12 pen set. It's very popular among my students, but basically I use one of these four way clicky pens that you guys have probably seen before. And so my red is my first reading. So you guys can see in red, I got my questions. I got my underlines. I draw boxes around stuff. Red is my first reading. And I use the same color for all of that. Um, because that's when I want to make my observations and my questions really clear to people. So, um, this is mostly in a group setting. But individually, that's also true. I also use my red pen. That's how it works. We're looking for repeated words. We can look for phrases that are confusing. We can look for things that stand out to us as something we've never really read before. So um, an example from the Deuteronomy passage I was talking about earlier, um, these are not idle words to you. These are your very life. That's a very powerful statement. However, it's also at the end of Deuteronomy. So by then we might have glazed over a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's... uh, (laughs) There's a lot going on in Deuteronomy. That's an incredible word. And so maybe that's the thing that stands out to us. And so we underline that or we read it more diligently than maybe we have in the past. Mm. One thing I really want to make clear is that inductive Bible study is not about reading the Bible harder. 
that's good. I think, yeah. I think that can come up sometimes in the like, yeah, I'm just going to really grind in. I'm going to notice every comma, every colon. I'm going to overanalyze every... It's not about reading the Bible harder. It's, it's about taking the opportunity to see the things that the scripture was always saying using our full intellect. Um, a verse that always stands out to me is Hosea 4.6. That one I actually know the quote for. And it says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Hmm. And I think sometimes we underestimate how important it is to fully engage our mind. Mm-hmm. Um, working with university students, this might be less of a problem in some cases. On the other hand, sometimes it's more, you know, you've gone to class all day and then I invite you to come to a Bible study on Thursday nights. You're like, Oh man, <laughs> do I really want to, do I really want to do this? But bringing our whole mind to the process of observing the scriptures and seeing what the word was always trying to say mm-hmm. is a really, really important practice to get into. Mm. When I'm doing observations, I'm also looking for things in the text that help answer the questions I'm, I'm having. So this page that happens to be beside me right now is from right at the end of Mark chapter eight. And I can see Peter says, says to Jesus like, no Lord. And he rebukes him in that setting. And then Jesus looking at his disciples, there's this little, there's this little line in the middle and it says, then Jesus looking at his disciples, turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Hmm. And so many times it's so easy to read over that and see like, oh man, why is Jesus coming at Peter so harshly here? This seems like a real, this seems like something that's really serious. And I, I think when we see that Jesus turned and looked at all his disciples, he, he saw Peter as someone that in that moment, he needed to be understanding that he was an example mm-hmm. and that he would be an example in this moment of the negative. No, do not rebuke me about this death. This death is everything that I have come for. You know, that looking at the disciples is, is a beautiful opportunity for Peter in that. The second step, as we think about observation, is trying to make sure that our observations are, and our questions are coming from the text itself and not from the things that we associate with the text. Mm. So some of the passages in scripture are like, you know, you've seen them printed on bathroom plaques. They have a picture of wheat behind them and they're in really nice places. And they say things like uh, very popular verses, you know, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, that kind of thing. Um, but the context might be divorced from what we have heard it in the past. Hmm. So, uh, I think about that often. I wonder what archaeologists in the year 3000 are going to think of this time, you know, like assuming some of the information is destroyed and it's kind of unclear. Maybe the only things that'll survive are that there was great hoarding of toilet paper. And it's like, they'll have to guess why, you know, they'll have to try and figure out what that was that this fully modern society just descended into toilet paper based anarchy for a few months. And it'll be like, what happened? And I hope that information is well preserved. And I hope that there's people that are coming back and studying this time. Like there's people that go back and study scripture in that time. But yeah, I, I think as we're making observations, we, we have to remove the, the commentaries and other things that we've heard preached on it and try and get back as much as possible to that original setting. Mm. And I hope that history will look fondly on us in this time, I suppose. <laughs> when, I think, uh, when I think about making good observations, 
at the end of at the end of good observations i think your goal should be that you feel like you're seeing the things that are coming out of the passage that god is lifting up to you so um another great scriptural practice is called lectio divina we uh, divine reading and you do a reading and then you kind of look for the word that shimmers is one way that people describe it and stands out to you and see what god is speaking to you mm. i think i i think i think of observation in some ways in a similar way except instead of um, instead of focusing on that, and usually those are much smaller passages that we do Lectio Divina on, we focus on the whole of the scripture that's presented before us. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think you end up at the end of observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Methodologically, that might feel really weird. It might feel really weird to you to pull out a pen and engage in what is essentially literary analysis of the scriptures. Um, if you were to if you were to go to a university English class and you were reading something by Dickens, they might do a very similar thing on a very famous passage, you know that kind of a thing. The uh, maybe the classic example of the Ghost of Christmas Future in his uh, great throne room with all the vines and things like that. If you go to a university English class, your professor will help you pick that apart. Um, It can feel weird to do that with scripture. And I'm not suggesting we don't approach scripture with reverence and understand what it is, but God invites us to fully embrace his message. And God invites us to fully explore all the intricacies of it too. Paul praises the church of Berea for the ways that they go into scriptures and they hear Paul preach and then they go back and check everything. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes as leaders, we know that can be annoying. The person that goes back and checks everything we say, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know, I know I appreciate that in the end, even if sometimes it becomes clear that, you know, I mispronounced a word or maybe I missed a verse here or there, or maybe I delved into a little bit of Gnosticism, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever the thing is, as the person goes, uh, and searches those things out, that shows that they really cares. That shows that they really care. And I think that God takes pleasure in that too. When we do that, Mm -hmm. when we go into his word and we say, yes, I want to get, I want to get every ounce of goodness out of this in this study. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Um, With observation. So you're, I think one of the errors that we run into in scripture is we can elevate certain texts over others. And, um, and I think one of the, one of the things is we can, I'll just take a classic text like um, uh, that cessationists would use about prophecies will cease, right? Like, and then all of a sudden they see the rest of scripture through that, through that verse. And so they say, well, all this stuff can't be happening anymore because of this. Um, Again, a misinterpretation in my opinion. But um, I think one of the, one of the things you're warning us against and one of the things you're encouraging us to do in observation is to let the passages speak on their own. So you're not you're not um, trying to interpret um, a passage in Ezekiel through through a different passage in like Romans, right? Um, is that is that I'm am I thinking the right way? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, <clears throat> Romans is an incredibly helpful book. Um, you know, all of all of the Pauline letters and how he lays out so beautifully and accurately so many of the things that are hard to understand are incredibly beautiful and helpful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we, if we try and read everything through the lens of this fully explained, fully fleshed out worldview that Paul has after the death of Jesus, after the miracles, after getting knocked off a horse by a blinding light, um, 
we sometimes don't see what the original hearers must have been experiencing. You know, so one of my favorite examples of this is Moses. Mm. Um, as Moses is interacting with the burning bush, when we read that, we sometimes just go right past this burning bush. We're like, oh yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, that's fine. No, that's wild. <laughs> Moses has no Moses has no understanding of how people interact with God. So there's a bush on fire. He he knows so little. He walks up and is just I don't know. Maybe he pokes it with his shepherd staff. I don't know exactly what goes on there, but <laughs> the spirit calls out and is like, "Take your shoes off, for this is holy." He knows nothing, mm-hmm. and this that framework of this interaction with God can be really helpful for us when we're considering questions of um, who am I. Uh, that's essentially the question of that passage. Moses is asking who he is before God to do all these great things for God. And if we, if we push all of the greatness of being sons and daughters of the risen King into that, we're going to move to comfort and, and maybe making fun of Moses a little bit for not understanding far more Mm -hmm. quickly than the original readers would have. Mm -hmm. The original readers would have said, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. there's many ways that I don't know God. I should consider the ways that I say in my weakness, no, I can't do this instead of saying, yes, God, I believe, I believe you, I believe you can do this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so with your observation, is that just your first reading or would observation be your first couple readings? Yeah. Usually for observation, I take, I take my first reading. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'll read it. Sometimes I'll read it two or three times. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers is my, my boss, Sherry. And she often says, if you read it and nothing, nothing is confusing to you, then read it again because you haven't observed well. <laughs> um, and I'm still finding that to be very true. Uh, granted, I'm pretty young in the faith. I'm only, I've only been in this faith for about 16 years. But um, the, the scripture always has something new. Um, mm, at the end of April... Every year in InterVarsity, we do this event where we call it Mark West. And so we do inductive Bible study of the entire gospel of Mark. And I've, I've taught the second half for five years running up to this point. And still, when I sit down and do prep, there's new things in there. So that's, that's about eight chapters. It's maybe 200 verses. Every time I'm doing prep for that in April, there's, there's new things in there for me that I haven't seen before. So yeah, I, I firmly believe that scripture is always speaking new things into the hearts of the people who are earnestly seeking them. That's awesome. Cool. So you said observation is the first step. What, uh, where do you go from there? Yeah. After that, we want to go into interpretation. Um, this is the step you're probably very familiar with. So you're trying to figure out what the passage means and what the passage is saying. Um, interpretation is mostly what your pastor is doing on Sunday morning. And that's really helpful. So your pastor picks a text and he comes and he tells you, okay, um, for example, uh, the first chapter of Colossians right at the end uh, talks about how incredibly great Jesus is and how every, everything is made in him and for him and through him. All things were made by him, et cetera, et cetera. And your pastor will tell you, okay, and therefore this is what this means and trying to help you figure that out. That's really helpful. And we love pastors and we desperately, desperately need people to be interpreting scripture well for us. But Jesus also invites us like the people of Berea to go back and do our own interpretation. And so we get the opportunity out of our observations to try and answer our own questions. If we're in a group, we get the opportunity to hear other people's thoughts. Um, One of the really important things about interpretation is at this point, not in general, 
hear hear me. But at this point, what you think about the passage needs to be held as something legitimate. It needs to be held as something that could be true and could be the truth that God is trying to speak to you out of the passage that week or that day, whatever, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, If you're doing individual study, your interpretation needs to be checked with other people in some way so that we avoid going down the heretical paths Mm -hmm. of the the many many different ways that the gospel has been mutated through the years and so there's a number of really good resources on doing that and this is actually where the church is quite good there's a large number of resources available of people's thoughts on the scripture and even to this day i've been a professional minister for about eight years i'll read a scripture and think to myself oh yeah this is really good stuff and then i'll go and find an interpretive source that's like oh yeah there's, maybe there's a fact I was missing here. Maybe there's maybe there's something I didn't know about the the mm. context. Maybe there's a verse that directly contradicts the thing that I was trying to say was true, etc. And it keeps us on a right path. We want to stay on the straight and narrow. Mm. So again, inductive Bible study is not about reading harder. Inductive Bible study is also not about understanding more than everybody else. Yeah. It's about finding the opportunities for God to speak to you that day, that week, hopefully the application will last for your life. But what is God trying to speak to you that day? And we want to stay out of the dangerous weeds. So there's a number of really good resources for that. Um, All of us walk around with the capability of accessing all of human knowledge with one of these. And normally we use it to, I use it in my bad moments to look at top 15 lists, you know, top 15 reality shows that are fake top 15 you know whatever. but uh in that little device we have the sum total of all human knowledge that has ever been discovered use it for a good purpose uh get go to biblegateway.com that's a great resource they have tons of commentaries on there some of them are free if you want to spend the like i think it's three american dollars you can get them all so that's that's awesome otherwise i guarantee your church library has a significant number of things that can help you interpret scripture as well. And if there's one that you want, I'm willing to bet, uh, well, depending on how this COVID fundraising thing goes down, but depending on how, how all that shakes out, I'm willing to bet the church would be willing to grab it. You know, you go to a pastor and you say, Hey, I'm really trying to figure out the scripture this in this way. I'm wondering if I could get, Oh, I don't know. Asbury's commentary, or I'm wondering if I could get uh, commentary on new Testament use of the old or something like that. That's probably the kind of thing your church wants to buy. So, Yeah, and this, it's honestly, it's, um, I do want to say really quickly, there is a level, this is something you might want to do with a pastor who's kind of has a little bit of knowledge of the commentaries, because there are some commentaries that you could buy, and you'll open them and you'll be like, I don't understand a word of this. And so it's, it's really important maybe to even just research who are some of the, the biblical scholars that are more accessible to read. Cause yeah. there are, there, I, I even was reading a commentary. I'm preaching on Galatians next week. And so I was reading a commentary that I have and um, it uh, half of the commentary is in Greek. And so if you don't have a basic understanding <laughs> of Greek, it's pretty much useless to read for you. So don't just, my, my warning would be don't just go online and buy a commentary. Uh, check with someone who, who kind of has some idea of what would be useful. Um, and then my other hack, this is a life hack for you Bible nerds. Um, Google Books has limited previews of commentaries. And so if you go to books.google.com and you literally type in like Ephesians commentary, you'll find like 
20 or 30 commentaries and it'll have a good chunk of them actually like in preview. And so I, I got through most of my seminary, um, using Google books. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But That's yeah. an excellent tip. Yeah. Commentaries are awesome. I love, I love commentaries. And if, if you are a serious Bible person and you're willing to spend some money, biggest recommendation would be logos with, from faith life. It is expensive, but it, for Bibles, like if you really are serious about this, it's, it's a wealth of resource. Like it is amazing. Um, so yeah. Um, <clears throat> question before we, uh, before we keep going, I want to hash this out a bit. You'd mentioned earlier. Um, it's cause we walk that line of, we don't want to go into heresy. We don't want to start thinking things that are not in line with the whole story of scripture. Um, one of the practices that we'll do another podcast on is called dwelling in the word. It's the whole sense. It's kind of like Lectio Divina, except it's very much focused around each person's initial interpretation being shared. You know, what stands out to you, what strikes you, um, what might God be saying to you? And I've done this practice before and I'll be honest, sometimes some of the things people say are like, Whoa, you gotta be careful there. <laughs> like if you keep thinking this way, there's, and so what would you, um, so I think we, we kind of run into this dichotomy of you've got, you've got, um, again, pastors aren't always right, but there's, we can almost elevate like people with Bible degrees to this certain point. Like they've got all this figured out. And then you've got somebody like yourself when you were in high school, right? Like all you knew was, was scripture and prayer. You didn't have that interpretive kind of background. So where, um, yeah, what, like when we talk about, we, we believe that everyone can interpret scripture. And so how do we, how do we maintain um, like a proper, what's the word? Um, how do you think we maintain, um, how do we make sure we don't go off the wrong path is basically what I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the reasons why I planted the seed about community earlier in the conversation Yeah, is, um, I didn't really understand, uh, maybe the, the point of community in some ways, uh, in general, I, I know a lot of people in the church lean towards self-deprecation mm. and saying like, oh, I don't understand how God could love me, but I'm so bad. Um, my sin pattern definitely leans more towards self-aggrandizement. Mm. Uh, it's definitely more like, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm usually the smartest guy in the room, you know, all those kind of <laughs> things. And uh, I think <laughs> I think there's a real opportunity there in community to, to see the ways that we engage in that and to humble ourselves and say, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't who I want to be. I, I think I really value the experience of community coming together. So one example, uh, a few years ago, we were doing a men's retreat and there's a young student. We commissioned him to give a talk. Uh, he gave me his talking points. I thought they were pretty good. Um, and then during the talk, it became clear that this was like full Gnosticism. All flesh is bad. Um, all, all spirit is good. There can be no, we have to deny the flesh, etc. And so just in the middle of the talk, I was like, oh man, I can't let this go. So I, I had to kind of stop him in the middle of the talk and issue a, issue a correction. And that was really interesting. But we still have really productive relationship to this day because that person mm-hmm. earnestly seeks out the will of God in his life. And so he was willing to be corrected in that. And I think a big part of interpreting in community is coming in and saying, I hold this mm-hmm. up to people that I trust and people that I love and know that this community desires to serve God well together Yeah, and, and see what happens with it. I think another thing that I really like is I try and engage with commentaries that are from different people yeah. 
yeah. in different times. So um, I really like various commentaries from Africa. I think there's one on Bible Gateway called the Africa Bible Commentary mm-hmm. because their experience of the scriptures is entirely different than mine. I have never, I've never really experienced true poverty. I've never experienced mm-hmm. real war or the loss therein, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But that is an experience of the people of God. And the scriptures are written to the whole people of God, to every tribe, nation, and tongue. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, reading one of those uh, Latin American ones, uh, commentaries written by Latin American scholars, maybe a Russian, you know, someone from a more mm-hmm. uh, collectivist worldview maybe, maybe from China, that kind of thing, like Bible reading, believe Bible, Bible believers, but people that come from different cultures because commentaries are a significant place where our cultural biases can come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that those are two ways. One is we come with humility and we hold things up and we say, this is something I think I'm discovering in scripture. And then oftentimes when the people we trust are like, Oh wow, thank you for bringing this gift from God to us. It's incredibly edifying and builds up the family of God. Wow. And rarely, but sometimes, rarely, we come and we're like, hey, this is what I think God is teaching us. And the community lovingly comes alongside us and says, well, no, that's, <laughs> that, that's not going to work because yeah. the yeah. whole of Scripture has a different witness. Yeah. yeah. Almost always, that's going to be the reason why the thing we think that mm-hmm. God is speaking to us out of Scripture isn't isn't fully true. It's because the whole of Scripture has a different witness, you know, so... I've been spending a lot of time in Jeremiah and Lamentations recently. Mm. Um, if you stop at the wrong point in Lamentations, almost all of those sentences are first-person pronouns. You know, mm. he has brought tears onto me. He has brought all of these terrible calamities. You know, he has broken the women's jars. He has, etc. Mm-hmm. And if you stop there, it's looking like God is a pretty villainous character, really. Mm. Um, but at the end of chapter three, beginning of chapter four, all of a sudden it very clearly says he is unwilling to bring harm onto anyone. He does not do this out of a place of vindictiveness or or cruelty, you know? And Mm -hmm. sometimes you need the community to bring that back into focus for us. Yeah. That's so good. And it's like, it's interesting because I took a, um, I took a course in my master's called um, missional. um, It was called, um, Oh man, I don't remember the name of the course, but the whole, the whole point of the course was how do we read the scriptures through a missional lens? And one of the things that really kind of made me, um, it really, it upset me. I'll be honest. When I heard it was basically we, they were saying there's not like one right way to read all of the scriptures. And, and, and it, and it was really interesting because it talked about how we can almost put a pedestal up for being right but then it kind of went into some of the things you did. Like when this passage is read in Africa, it's read this way. When it's read in China, it's read this way. And it was just so interesting because it, we kind of, um, we, we kind of talked about the historical critical interpretive methods. So, so the whole, like there, the whole, there is one right way. This is what it means. And it doesn't mean anything else or and it's tough. Cause I don't want to get into like postmodernism or anything too weird, but at the same time, what, what that did is it allowed me to realize, like, as we approach the scriptures, there are different ways that the Holy Spirit can speak through it and, and allowing for that. But also, like you had said, coming with humility. Um, and, and I think another important thing is knowing the story overall really well, like knowing the whole story of the Bible really well and, and, and knowing why Jesus came and, and why God created us the way he did really helps to like stay kind of in track. But, but just, I just found that, um, that, yeah, we can almost put, we can make an idol out of being right. 
And so I love what you have to say about humility. I love what you have to say about considering other methods. And, and I think, and I honestly, like, I wonder how much of interpreting scripture is like, it's just a journey that we're on. Like we, you know, we go through life and we, I understand passages differently now than I did before I was a dad. And I don't know about you, but a lot of passages changed their understanding for me as soon as I, we had kids. Right. And so, yeah, yeah I think with interpretation, you got to be careful, but at the same time, you got to be um, open to, to God. You know, you got to believe that God can actually speak to you through the Bible. You know, it's really like, yeah. And, and tools are, are tools. Like they help, they help, but we can't fully like, you can't, um, what's the word put them you can't idolize the tools yeah right? yeah um anything else you wanted to say about interpretation what, what does it look like practically for you when you're going through the step yeah yeah well, so after my first reading after i make observations um i use the first commentary i read is always my bible background commentary mm. um so this isn't that book is not uh like this is what the passage means. This is telling you about like facts from history. Oh, cool. about, this is how people thought. So this is my IVP new Testament commentary. I don't get paid to sell these or anything. I just think they're a great resource, <laughs> nice. but um, yeah, essentially. So for example, you're reading the parable of the prodigal son mm-hmm. and at the end, the father runs out to meet his child mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, that seems reasonable. As, as a dad, now I would definitely do that if my son comes down the road. But what we don't know and what this book will tell you is that it's incredibly disgraceful to run mm. in early Jewish culture. Well, men do not run because um, usually because it would uncover their ankles and knees and that was fairly scandalous. Mm. And that's just something we would never know unless we pick up something like a Bible commentary. And a background comment commentary in particular can be really helpful with that um and it's helpful in all areas you know maybe we're reading the book of revelation or something and it's talking about chapter 12 it's talking about the dragon um there's a lot of different ways you can go with that but the bible commentary won't tell you all of what it thinks it'll just tell you these are some other near eastern stories from the similar timeline that are about dragons being defeated by the offspring you know that that kind of a thing so instead of telling you what it's about they tell you these are some things you should think about as you're deciding what it's about and and i really like that um totally yeah yeah then i then i read what i what i usually call this step in interpretation is conversations with smart people um so (laughs) people with theology degrees know a lot and it's it's really good to be interacting with those people uh i i always say when i'm reading the book the conversation is fairly one way um they say things i don't speak back you know that that kind of an idea um that being said conversations with you know people with really advanced theology degrees can be one way in real life anyway so (laughs) you might not be uh you might not be interacting with that on much of an unusual level but yeah my my very practical method is i make all my observations coming out of observation i know the questions that are most important to me and what i want to ask entering into interpretation i check my bible background commentary to maybe flesh out anything that i've missed because i am a 21st century white male Anglo-Saxon Protestant in Canada. And there are many things that were different for the first century mm-hmm. Middle Eastern readers of this passage. Yeah. And then I will open interpretations or various commentaries that I like. So yeah, Logos has an incredible number of great resources. Um, I often try to read Matthew Henry's commentary. Mm-hmm. It's quite old. Um, 
that's actually one of the reasons I like it. I don't find that I have very, uh, I don't know. I, I find very, very high level revolutionary leanings in myself in some ways. And Matthew Henry is not Matthew Henry is very like, let's continue on the path, continue in this way. And so that's helpful to me. So I try and grab viewpoints that are different from my culture. I also try and grab viewpoints that are different from my personality and maybe sociological or political leanings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I think interpretation is just such an important, it's just, uh, yeah. How we interpret the Bible is so important because it impacts the next step. Um, and you'll speak to that in a little bit. I'm just, uh, yeah, I think it's really important with the, I love that conversations with smart people. It just, it just tells me, I think one of the practices that we can get out of this is to not just read the Bible, but to read the Bible and converse with people about it. Um, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think I find, especially with some of my young adults, right when they come into university, um, it's almost awkward to have a conversation about God. It's easy to talk about the Oilers. It's easy to talk about coffee. It's easy to talk about like the weather, you know, we're Canadian. So pretty much every conversation yeah. we talk about the weather. Um, but I find as soon as you start to say, what's God been teaching you recently? Um, or what have you been reading in your Bible recently? It almost, you always get like guards come up. Right. And so I think in some ways when we, when we, if we want to get really good at interpreting scriptures, we need to be cool with talking to our friends, talking to our pastor, talking to our small group leader, whoever it is. Like, here's what I'm learning. Here's the questions that I have. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I can't speak to pastors because I've never been one, but maybe, maybe you could answer this. I bet your pastor would love if you went up to him, you know, a week later after, let's say Donovan's giving his Galatians talk. Is that what you said? Yeah, Galatians, yeah. yeah. I bet Donovan would love if you went up to him a week later and you were like, Hey, you know, I was reading in the Asbury Bible commentary about this and I noticed you decided to go the other way. Why did you do that? You know, et cetera. That would probably be a much better after sermon talk than what they usually get. And it's I've received faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good word. Good word. Good word. Yeah. I always want to answer that with which one, which one, which one did you like? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's cool. And I, it, and just, I just give you all who are listening and hearing permission. Like, don't like, don't make it awkward. Let's, let's make it a, a habit to be talking about what we're learning in scripture and how it's speaking to us and what we're highlighting and underlining. And I just think I, I, I don't think it needs to be reserved for our small group conversations. Like this can be part of normal life. And I think as we embrace that, I think we'll grow our interpretive muscles, if that makes sense. Yeah. And our ability to, it's that whole teach a man to fish, right? Like, you yeah. Know, as we learn and talk and, and converse, we actually can grow in, in discerning that way. Um, so yeah. What's the final step and how does that look like? <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think the final step is probably one of my favorites because it also offers the best opportunity for witness. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably also offers the best opportunity for sharing with people around you that yeah. maybe are struggling in their faith or maybe don't know Jesus at all. So the last step we want to talk about is application. Um, and it's interesting because uh, again, my favorite Bible study teacher, my boss, Sherry, she always talks about how approaching scripture and not doing anything with it is a dangerous thing. Mm. Uh, when we gain information and then we just let that information sit in us, that 
that has no purpose except scripture would witness actually to bring further condemnation on us in many ways. When we, when we go and interact with scripture and we just acquire information and we decide those are fun facts. Um, when we walk away from that, our hearts are hard and we're in a worse place and we want to be applying what we're learning. So uh, going back to my earlier example at the end of Mark eight, when Peter says to Jesus, um, no, don't speak this way. You know, don't talk about your death. Jesus rebukes him really harshly. Mm. That's something that we should consider. We have to ask questions of ourselves of like, Oh, in what ways do I say the death of Jesus is shameful? In what ways do I want Jesus to be this victorious King instead of this crucified King? Mm-hmm. In what ways do I want Jesus to do those things? And we check our heart and out of our heart, we ask questions that allow us to pour our heart reality into our life. Wow. You know, so out of that, out of this understanding that I'm not going to be criticizing Jesus for his death, how is Jesus inviting me to die to my pride and the things that I really want in this time? Um, yeah, it's always really interesting to me. The, uh, the most common thing I tell my students if they want to have more conversations with people about Jesus mm. is to just stop answering the question, how are you doing with good? Mm. Um, and I think the main reason for that is if we are engaging in this daily practice of scripture, then our life is almost never going to be neutral, mm. which is kind of what good means. You know, we're either going to be walking through the day rejoicing in this great truth that scripture has spoken into us so good, and applying that, or we're going to be walking through the day really considering the ways that repentance is our posture for that day wow. yeah, and all of those things. And yeah, I'm, I'm struck by that. If, if the people of God were walking around kind of always explaining their rapturous joy or explaining their repentance, mm-hmm. I think witness would just explode. <laughs> yeah. In, in so many ways. Wow. So when we apply scripture, that's when we say, how do I make this real? And how do I put boots to the ground? Mm. Um, and so maybe we're reading from Moses, like I was talking about earlier and we decide, okay, I'm going to stop making excuses and just believe that God has this plan for me and I'm going to execute with him. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're reading Hosea and we're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Mm. This is the commitment I'm going to make to increase my knowledge. Mm those kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. People often get pretty, pretty frustrated in that if you're asking the right questions. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think that's a good thing. If, if we walk away from scripture and the question is kind of always the same, um, mm-hmm. we've got a problem because scripture speaks to everything. Mm-hmm. Scripture is not always speaking to the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm always struck by how, I don't know how creative God is in the way that he uses scripture to speak to us. Yeah. And so if we receive interpretation from God and community and we don't apply that, it, it puts us in a dangerous place. Um, Luther is quoted as saying that he wanted to let scripture read him. Mm, that's good. And uh, I think that's the goal overall. You want, you want to get this scripture inside of you and you know download that scripture so that it will check all of the hardware that it is currently in inside of you and see if there's any problems totally and then we bring those things to to the great rescuer who who fixes those things and designs us for great purposes mm-hmm.
Wow. Um, so I just want to quickly walk through this um, because there's a couple questions that have come to my mind as you've been sharing about application. Um, the first is with, in regards to a really intense passage, and I'm thinking of when Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, gouge out your eye. If your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Yeah. I think a very like basic reading of that, the application is pretty severe. And so I think I'm using an extreme example because it's easy to kind of see the process. So um, how, uh, like, how do you apply a passage like that? Yeah, that's funny. I, uh, <clears throat> I think one of the ways that I started out in scripture study or maybe started out on my inductive Bible study journey. Yeah. Uh, somebody gave me really good advice and they said, you have to embrace some kind of very true metric that covers almost all things. Wow. And out of that interpret everything else. So uh, for me, I put a poster on my wall and it says, I've come to have life. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Mm. And then whenever I was considering my application is like, okay, is this life to the full? Mm. Repentance is life to the full. Absolutely. Um, embracing joy is life to the full. Absolutely. Uh, gouging out your eye, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it's really helpful to have some kind of general but true interpretive framework that helps us interpret really harsh passages. So um, maybe if you step back a little earlier in, in Mark, um, Jesus says to his disciples, anyone who... Uh, if you're ashamed of me before this sinful and adulterous generation, then I will be ashamed of you when my father comes with his holy angels. Mm. Um, a real opportunity in that is just to be like, oh no, I've been ashamed. Jesus is coming. Therefore I am undone. Mm -hmm. All is lost. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not life to the full. You know, again, that's not, that's not uh, the kinds of things that Jesus is inviting us into. So, that's my main encouragement about the really harsh passages mm. is that our application has to move us. We still want to move. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to gouge out, if we're willing to gouge out our eyes, if we've gotten to that point of obedience, great. Because the thing that Jesus invites you into out of that will probably feel like it without the incredible maiming that would not be, <laughs> would not be the thing from him, you know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it means right now, you pick up your laptop and you throw it out your apartment window. Yeah. You know, maybe it means right now you, you know, text all text your friend that texted you this morning about like, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning? And you didn't tell him you were going to church. Maybe you text him right now that you're inviting him instead. Mm -hmm. You know, these things that feel incredibly costly and, and powerful scripture is actually probably speaking well to you. Yeah. You just have to do it in the way that gives life. Mm -hmm. Totally. No, and so the other verse that I had in mind, and this one is a little more, it's not as extreme, but I think it'll help people see the process. So when Jesus is approached by the rich young ruler and, um, and he, he yeah. says, you know, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus says, sell all you have, give all your possessions to the poor and follow me. And then he decides not to follow Jesus. And then Jesus says, you know, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Um, so a passage like that, let's just, Let's just quickly walk through, I know we can't go in depth because we don't have that much time left, but like a really basic, like what would your observations be of a passage like that first? And then let's just kind of walk through really yeah. so people can see with a little bit, 
because I think with application, we don't, again, we don't just want a simple application. We want the application to come out of our observation and our interpretation. We yeah. are, we're in danger when we just read a passage and think this is how we can apply it right mm -hmm. away. If it, especially if it's extreme, like sell everything you have, mm -hmm. give all your possessions away. Like that's pretty extreme too. So yeah. let's just start, I, I, let's just spend a few minutes on this and then we'll be done. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for picking a passage from Mark. It's definitely my strongest gospel. So, you are welcome. <laughs> I wanted to um, off the top of your head, you're like the pro at this. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love the narrative of that story. So he, the guy walks up and says to Jesus, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah. And it's interesting because he approaches Jesus with this kind of economic framework, right? Mm -hmm. Inherit eternal life. Yes. Um, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? Is that what anyone's thinking? Is that how we preach the gospel normally? That's not usually how I say it, you know? Yeah. But he walks up with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then it says, and then Jesus gives him a rote answer. You know, the commandments do, do these things. Have you followed them? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting because Jesus in kindness actually names all of the horizontal commandments. Mm -hmm. right? He names the ones where it's people interacting with people. Mm -hmm. And um, the man says, all of these I've kept since my youth. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> it's quite interesting. I'm always struck by why is he there asking the question if he doesn't recognize something is lacking? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. shouldn't he, shouldn't he be confident mm -hmm. at that point? If he's really kept all of those since his youth, Let's assume that's possible for a moment. Theologically, I would argue it's not. But yeah. assuming that's possible for a moment, if he really believes that, how does he think this? Why is he still going to Jesus for more? Mm. What more does he think is accessible? He's living righteously. Mm. And then the passage says, but Jesus looking at him loved him mm. and then said, go and do this. Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting. If, if we were to approach that passage and say, okay, what arrogance could I approach Jesus with mm -hmm. that he would love me and tell me to give something up? Mm -hmm. That would be a great application question out of that because for some of us, it's not going to be money. You know, maybe money has very little hold on you mm -hmm. and looking at the passage of the rich young ruler and seeing him say, sell everything. You're like, well, I, I don't know how much further I could go. <laughs> you know, kind of looking around your, uh... <laughs> maybe for other people, that is the right question, mm -hmm. but the the central issue of that passage is not money it's mm. jesus's incredible love for this man that approaches with some kind of lack that he recognizes mm -hmm. and jesus tells him how to meet the lack you know if you if you don't want to be enslaved in any way if you want to go and inherit this eternal life i have an economic solution for you mm -hmm. you approach with economic terms i have an economic solution for you <laughs> wow that's so good yeah and it it's just, this is the sort of thing I just wanted to, to give our people, like spark imagination a little bit uh, for people who are listening. Like this is what's possible when we approach the scriptures in this way. Uh, so thank you for doing that off the top of your head. Just so everyone knows, I did not give him any warning. That was all entirely off the top of his head. So nice work. <laughs> um, yeah, before we get to the, the, the last question. So the last question that I wanted to ask you today is, and this is so you have some time to think about it. Yeah. What's one thing that you want people to do? Like what's one thing to do right away? People can try to, in, to look at the scriptures this way. But before we get to that, I would love to hear if you have any stories 
or testimonies. We've heard a lot about yourself, but I'm wondering if you have any of university students that you've journeyed with as they started to approach the Bible in this way, both in their own individual study, but also in corporate Bible study formats. Uh, yeah, like just share a story or two about how they were impacted. Yeah, I would love to. Awesome. I, uh, uh, Amos might not seem like a great place to do inductive Bible study, uh, but we were doing a, we were doing kind of a, a poverty immersion experience in Edmonton, one mm-hmm. of those local mission trips that yeah. many places do. And we were studying Amos inductively. And I remember at one point, one student got up and she was sitting beside another student and we were studying Amos. I think it was chapter three mm-hmm. in which Amos is talking about just this incredible destruction that's coming. And it's all because they were haughty in their wealth. Yeah. They didn't care about the poor. And the one student got up and was like, I can't believe this. I have grown up in the church and no one ever told me God hated this this much and the student beside her was crying for the same reason you know these these just emotions of like i don't understand how i never heard that why is this the first time i'm hearing that god hates this abuse of money so much Mm -hmm. and yeah i was really struck by the power of the word in that is there any exercise that we could have done Mm -hmm. you know to evoke that response one mm-hmm. student crying and another student kind of sitting there. And what I feel is probably a righteous anger of like, mm-hmm. how did we miss this? <laughs> the next line she said, will kind of, will kind of always stick with me. She said, I thought caring for the poor was like being on the worship team. It was optional. Some people do it. Mm-hmm. And now I know that it is not. If you follow Jesus, you love the poor. Wow. And it was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember another time uh, we were studying, um, what was it, Mark? There's a lot of Mark stories here. Come to Mark West at some point, free plug. <laughs> we were studying Mark chapter 14, and it's talking, that's the narrative of Peter denying Jesus. And um, one of the ways that you can look at that passage is like, oh man, how could Peter be so foolish? How could Peter be so so distant from the goodness of God? How could he make these exaggerated claims of following him and then fail? Mm-hmm. And there was this young woman that just was like, uh, considering the application of that. And she just said like, Oh man, I, I'm just so much worse than Peter. You know, I, I deny Jesus constantly in very recreational settings. It is casual for me. It is, it is my default setting. Wow to just deny and I don't even weep anymore. I'm totally numb. At least Peter had it in him to go weep and recognize that he had betrayed Jesus. But for me, it's just normal. Mm. And I was like, yeah, you, you're getting it. You're, you're really getting what this passage is saying. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really cool. And it's amazing how, um, we can do this in any, any type of passage, right? Like you can do this in the Psalms. You can do this in a story like the gospels. You can do it in like Exodus 18 and let's do it there. You can do it in um, the, the teachings of Paul, um, the, the epistles. There's just so it, and it's cool because as we approach scripture this way, I think, yeah, it allows it, like you said, it allows it to kind of take it from, as we engage with our minds, what happens, I think, is God starts to move in our hearts. 
like that's what it sound it's sounding like in our conversation is as we choose to engage the scriptures in this way um our hearts can be moved right and and that's what it says in hebrews or timothy no all scriptures god breathed timothy yeah yeah timothy. For, yeah. yeah yeah and um it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so as we approach the scriptures this way, um, we are opening ourselves up to teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training and growing as his, his disciples. Um, but yeah, so my big question, Hogan, uh, what's one thing you would encourage everyone listening or watching to do right now or the next few days to, to apply what we've been talking about? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would love everyone listening to this um colossians is a short book it's mm -hmm. my favorite book in the new testament and i've been in it a lot lately mm -hmm. because i've been thinking a lot about why why is this happening who's really in charge mm -hmm. colossians answers those questions dramatically and wow. incredibly well and the the ebb and flow of colossians from uh, this incredibly practical, this is how you live with wives and husbands and slaves and all those kind of things to some of the most grandiose statements of who Christ is in all of scripture. Yeah. That's been really speaking to me lately. And I think Colossians also gives a really beautiful opportunity to see some of the strength of this method, mm -hmm. to see some of the ways that uh, using observations, using interpretations and making strong applications that speak to our heart mm -hmm. can come out of that. So yeah. I would encourage you in this time, go out. Uh, even if you, even if you only get through chapter one, mm -hmm. chapter one is awesome. Um, yeah. In terms of time, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I, to do a chapter probably takes uh, someone that's relatively new at this um, somewhere around three hours, somewhere in there. Uh, so when I'm asking you to do a chapter, I'm saying this is a week long project. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm not saying like, try and do this, try and do this tonight. Cause you'll, you'll mess this up. <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you get to the end and you're applying something in like <laughs> your 15 minute devotional, probably not accurate induction in what you were trying to do. <laughs> so yeah, that just on a very practical level, uh, yeah. You should know the time that it takes to invest in doing individual study in something like this. So yeah, I would, I would strongly encourage you Colossians one. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I estimate it would probably take most of you about a week unless this is your nightly activity, you know, grab a cup of tea, sit down, grab some commentaries, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, it's like, it is a, it is a chunk mm -hmm. and, and commit to that. Alternatively, if you get that done, you know, I don't know what Donovan's preaching on in Galatians, but give it a shot. Could be good. <laughs> Check me. Check me. Make sure I'm I'm on the right track. Yeah. Um, and I I you you briefly mentioned this at the very beginning, but one of the one of the ways that um, makes this a little more accessible is if you have a printer, basically copy out Colossians, um, remove all the verse numbers and yeah. headings, double space it, if not even more than that, so you have room to write and work from that. Um, Hogan, for those that are seeing it, is showing his, uh, how his looks. Um, again, it's just, it takes away some of that, um, here, I'll stop talking so they can actually see because it's one way. <laughs> yeah. So you can see the verse numbers are gone. It's double spaced. I have written many things. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and again, it's not, it's, 
and I do this in my own Bible, but I also do this with manuscripts like that. And so feel free to, to do either. Um, yeah. But uh, just highly encourage you to, to be engaging with the scriptures in your mind. And, and um, the, the last thing that I do want to say is as we approach the Bible in this way, continuing to understand that there's um, in the new Testament, we kind of have two different understandings of knowledge. One is the, the, the knowing in our heads, but also there's the knowing in our hearts. And, and one of the things that I want to encourage you is to not, to just don't detach them. Like ask God, as you read the scriptures, that he'd be revealing himself to you, to your heart. Um, so that it doesn't just become a mental exercise in like Hogan was saying earlier, being, I know more about scripture than you. No, that's what Jesus was calling out the Pharisees for when, when he said like, you know this all, but you don't live it out because they just approach with their heads, not their hearts. And so as we uh, approach scriptures, we ask God for, for knowledge um, uh, in our minds, but also knowledge that ex- expands and grows in our hearts. And so, yeah, that's, that's where I want to wrap up. But yeah, thank you, Hogan. This, I, you're awesome. I love what you had to share today. And just really quickly, if anyone wants to get connected with InterVarsity, um, hopefully school happens next year. Um, yeah. but, so tell, just give us a little plug for your ministry. You mentioned Mark West um, and other <laughs> events that people may be able to connect with. Just a really quick plug I'd love for you to do, and then we'll say goodbye. Thanks, Donovan. Um, yeah, so the best way to reach us is always going to be our website or Facebook. You can easily find us, uh, ivcfuofa.com. That'll direct you to the place that has all our events. Um, throughout the summer, we have various prayer meetings and Bible studies and things like that that happen. Um, that being said, I know most liner- listeners are from McKernan, and I really encourage you to continue on in your college and career community and do all that. Um, yeah, if you find that there's a place for a Bible study or a prayer meeting in your life, please feel free to come check it out. Awesome. Thank you. Well, and hopefully you, uh, you have a good time with your four boys. Yeah. (laughs) So awesome. Bless you, Hogan. Thanks. Well, friends, I hope you were blessed by that interview. I know I was, um, Hogan, thank you for taking the time to share that with us today. Uh, I absolutely love the passion that he has for God's Word and the, the reality of how what one way we can engage with God's Word. Again, there's all sorts of different ways. We're going to talk about Lectio Divina. We're going to talk about dwelling in the Word, all these different ways. But my encouragement, and I said this in the podcast, but I just want to reiterate it. Let's talk about God's Word more. Let's ask our friends questions. Let's, let's regularly ask our good Christian friends, hey, what are you learning as you read the Bible? What, what's standing out to you? What is God saying to you? What questions do you have? Let's make that normal and not awkward. I think it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to have these sort of conversations with one another. Uh, because again, that's how we grow in our interpretive muscles. And so I encourage you, let's have these type of conversations. You can have them with me. I'm open. I love to have these conversations. I have a whole shelf of commentaries if you want to borrow some. And I have a lot of links to resources online. Just send me an email, ask me questions. I would love to serve you if I can and help you in how you interpret and understand the Bible. So blessings on you. Let's, uh, let's get highlighting. It'll be fun.